Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are doing all that we can just to keep up with the pace of the Bundesliga. Another so-called English Woche or English week, is coming up in the league, which means we don't have a lot of time to spare. With me for this jam-packed look at uh, the abundance of football is a very special guest. If you don't know him by name, I'm going to guarantee that you know him by voice. Derek Ray, can you can you unleash that delightful instrument for a moment? <laughs> I think that's the best introduction I've ever heard, Matt. Uh, yeah, my name is Derek. Derek Ray, football commentator for many different entities. So maybe you know the voice, maybe you don't. Oh, man, come on. These are dedicated Bundesliga fans you're dealing with here. And because <laughs> of, of, of that fact, I think all of them will have heard your voice on, you know, a, a variety of places, whether they get in the world feed or, you know, if if Fox sees that Derek Ray is the voice, they're going to take the world feed. BT Sports probably going to take the world feed if it's if it's Derek Ray on the call. So I, I think everybody knows you. Well, that's very kind. And the Bundesliga is a big part of my life. It always has been. It's very much in my heart. So. So delighted that we're together chatting about it. Nice, nice. It's good to speak with you again. It has definitely been a while. This week, we're going to take a closer look at, you know, what results from the match day that just gone, match day 31, mean for all those races for Europe, the race against the drop. We're going to see what the schedule has in store for the rest of the rest program, as it were. And we're going to turn our attention to you know, some sad financial melodrama unfolding around one of Germany's most tradition-rich clubs. So get ready, Derek, get ready, you. All right, let's kick on with Talking Foosball. I'm Matt Herman. I am here with woo-hoo, Derek Ray. Derek, I, I just want to start things off with maybe a little personal note. I mean, how does it feel to be in Boston right now for this really crucial run-in period of the Bundesliga where, you know, the juices are really flowing for the league and, and you're probably feeling a little far away. Yeah, it's frustrating, Matt. I think that is definitely the case. I do feel far away, but at the same time, I feel vaguely connected and in some respects more connected with all the games than would be the case when I'm in Germany. Because if you can imagine when I'm in Germany, I'm working for the Bundesliga World Feed and I'm sort of putting all my eggs in one basket in terms of one game. So as a commentator, you do that. You throw your lot into preparation for the single match that you're doing. Now that I'm following events from afar, from across the Atlantic, I'm watching everything in a way that you can't because you're traveling and you're preparing. And I'm listening to the, the Radio Conference on WDR 2, as well as having the pictures from the world feed. And so it's a sort of a different kind of connection. But I'd be lying if I said that uh, I'm not missing Germany at this particular moment. And there's been a strange frustration, although I like the fact that more people have now discovered the Bundesliga and I've tried to you know, do my small bit with videos from the back garden on that front. I, I like that. I like that more people have discovered it. But there is the slight envious aspect from, from my angle being so far away at a time when Many friends of mine are actually broadcasting the Bundesliga in the UK for the first time in their careers. <laughs> and and have, what sort of impressions have you got from these guys who are watching this game a bit more closely than they often do? I mean, you're aware as well as anybody, especially you being from the UK, that there tends to be a little bit of 
upturned noses to the Bundesliga when it compares to the Premier League especially. Are, are people pleasantly surprised? Are they surprised in any way? I think so. I think most people I've spoken to certainly are of the view that the quality is high, the professionalism levels are high, the the clubs speak for themselves. I think most people in the UK, they know of these clubs and they know of their traditions. And obviously it's different not having the, the fans in place. Some are watching the games with the enhanced audio track, as it's called. Some are not. I personally prefer not to have it, but that's just, as I say, personal choice. But in the UK, I think we are definitely hearing from people who have found that their knowledge levels have been enhanced by what has gone on in the last few weeks. And you know, the hope is that there'll be a carryover effect and that these same people won't forget that the Bundesliga was there, if you like, in their hour of need. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, even after the Bundesliga wraps up, we are still going to see some of these um, German teams in European action. I mean, it increasingly looks likely that we're going to see a sort of final knockout tournament in the Champions League, which, you know, Bayern Munich will go looking like, uh, you know, a real favorite, especially if they will have, you know, come off of uh, a, a good completed season where they, you know, took home the title. How impressed have you been by Bayern over the last several weeks? I mean, you know, the real change happened when, you know, Nico Kovac left and Hansi Flick came. It took a little while for that to completely gel. But, man, looking at this Bayern team these days, I'm, I'm super impressed. And I almost feel, you know, and this is a sort of an unfamiliar feeling, looking forward to watching Bayern because they are fun to watch. Yeah, I'm similarly impressed. And I think they have taken huge strides in these last few games. The first game back against Union, I thought they were a bit plodding, to be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I thought there was maybe something missing, a bit of rust, understandable, of course, when you consider the layoff, when you consider that players are not going to be sharp straight away. And so it's going to take them time, and it did. But pretty much since then, I think they have fired on all cylinders. And I think just about everybody has stepped up for them. You wouldn't say that there's been a weak link. I mean, we previously thought that maybe the central defence was a slight weak link when Niklas Zule was out for so long and Hernandez and Boateng playing there sort of out of necessity. But, I mean, he's been great as well. You know, where is the weakness for Bayern? There just isn't one. Uh, from top to bottom, they excel. And I think that's maybe tied to your earlier question, I think that is perhaps what has stood out for people who are not regular Bundesliga viewers, how good Bayern really are. And it's amazing to go back in time to the start of the season when I think we all had one or two doubts about Bayern. I certainly did, even though I tipped them to win the Bundesliga. It wasn't with 100% conviction. And there were many trying to tell me that, no, it would be Borussia Dortmund season or even it might be Leipzig's turn to win the Meisterschale. But Bayern keep doing what they have to do to put distance, if you'll excuse the pun, between themselves and their competition. Yeah, I have to admit, I was one of those people who perhaps uh, acting under wishful thinking picked Borussia Dortmund to win the title. But that all seems like a very, very long time ago now. What is it that you think Hansi Flick has done with Bayern? Obviously, there's been some tactical changes, but it also seems like there have been some changes in terms of which players he trusts and which sort of uh, footballing philosophy he has tried to instill in this team. It's, it's a much more proactive team. It's a team that looks to dominate rather than to react. I, I've been, you know, hugely impressed. 
I have also, and without wishing to talk down Niko Kovac, who I think is a good coach, the way I would put it is I'm not sure he was necessarily ever a logical Bayern coach when you think about his qualities. What he did with Eintracht Frankfurt was commendable, but it was playing almost sort of reactive football, as you've said, at times slightly scared football. It was effective football, but at Bayern, a different philosophy is called for. So Hansi Flick, I think, realised that, realised that Bayern had to be a different team. They had to be the team that tried to be dynamic in every game, didn't just wait for the opposition to make a mistake. There had to be more than that. But I think there was more than that with Hansi Flick. I think we're also talking about man management. I think we're talking about somebody who understood what you have to do and how you have to be if you are the Bayern coach. And he has made it look simple. And and the truth of the matter is it's not a simple thing to do. But he has walked in there and it's almost as though a, a switch has been flicked. Because even when And I remember covering Bayern against Leverkusen at the end of November when Bayern lost, and they lost not long after that to Gladbach. Even in defeat, you could still see that there was an improvement, that he had tapped into something. And, you know, using players differently as well, realizing that Thomas Müller had been misused and that there had to be a way of getting him back to being the contributor that he's always been. He's contributing more with assists uh, than goals nowadays. He can still score. But, I mean, it's marvellous what Müller has done just months on from being written off. Remember when Coutinho joined Bayern, the discussion was around Müller. Does this mean that he's not going to play a significant part anymore? Is he going to be sold on? I mean, that was the discussion if we went back to, to last September, October time. So, I think Flick has come in and I think he has brought Bayern back to what Bayern fans think they should be and, you know, what they have really, for the most part, always been. And the the, the trick of it is in making it look so straightforward. In truth, it's anything but. However, I would still say that quality tells, quality matters, and Bayern's quality is there for all to see. And they are the best team in Germany. They might be the best team in Europe. We'll find out if we're able to say that in due course. But another Meisterschale. Yep, another Meisterschale is uh, probably going to happen uh, either on Tuesday or on Saturday. There's also the matter of uh, a cup, which could be happening in, in a few weeks after that. And of course, you know, the Champions League, which I mentioned earlier, is is still in play. It's, it's going to be hard to say what a month layoff is going to do for Bayern. While, you know, the likes of the Premier League and uh, La Liga are going to be playing through perhaps up, 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 up until that sort of uh, knockout tournament for the Champions League. But under the form that they're in right now, I would have to say that Bayern would be a favorite or or co-favorite at least to win the Champions League. What do you reckon? I would have to agree with that. Um, I do think there's maybe a slight question mark over the timing of when the Champions League finale, so to speak, will happen. And I know Julian Nagelsmann, for example, has spoken out saying that this is to the disadvantage of German clubs, the, the timing of it. It's easy to see why you might say that. But I do think that... Bayern really have pushed on in a way that that not even the most fervent Bayern fan necessarily would have predicted around September, October time last year. And just on all levels, 
There is strength. And I remember listening just recently to uh, Hansi Flick talking about where Bayern might strengthen. And you do have a hard time sort of coming up with individual areas. And he, he settled on wide attacking areas. And you can read into that the imminent arrival of Leroy Zane. Uh, mentioned the fullback positions. I think he's talking there about lack of depth rather than anything really wrong with the players who've been playing in the fullback positions, Bavard and Davies. I mean, Davies has been phenomenal. So, you know, where are the weaknesses? So I, I, I think Bayern are very well set up. Leon Goretzka's one we haven't even mentioned. And the fact that he really has produced in the second half of the season, having not done so well in the the Hinhunde. So, yeah, if you're a Bayern fan, you've got to be full of the joys. Yep, for sure. They could do this as early as Tuesday. As I mentioned a moment ago, they are playing uh, Werder Bremen. The only hitch, I guess, in the plan that, that you know, they will just wrap it up then is that um, Bremen definitely have a lot to play for. And Bremen showed that they, you know, might want to have a say in things still by exploding in Paderborn over the weekend, getting a 5-1 win. I'm not necessarily asking you, Derek, uh, whether you think Bremen can get some points off of Bayern on Tuesday, although maybe you think they can. But their run-in looks like it could lead to somewhere useful. They are, are facing Bayern, but after that, they have uh, Mainz, who is a direct relegation competitor, and then Cologne, who probably might be tempted to take the day off on the last day of the season. Do you think Bremen can actually make this escape happen? I do. I, I firmly believe they can do it now. It was contingent upon them beating Paderborn at the weekend, and they did that handily. I didn't necessarily anticipate that they would win by that margin. I think in my preview, I said, I see Vera Bremen scraping this. They have been better away from home than has been the case at home. It's a strange dynamic. We've discussed this at length, haven't we? Especially since the teams came back following the layoff, that the away teams seem to do better. But there still seems to be something weighing on Bremen at home. And that was the case with fans inside the stadium too. So uh, again, try to work that one out. I, I wouldn't hold out too many hopes for Bremen in the Bayern game, but I would against Mainz. And, and I think that is now shaping up to be uh, one of the games of the season, if you love German football. Uh, because Werder Bremen do have something to build on based on performances in certain games. I mean, let's not forget they managed to win away at Freiburg, which is not always the easiest thing to do. Okay, they won at Schalke, which others have done, but they deserved that victory, I thought. And they drew with Gladbach, you know, so, so they had that little run that made you think, okay, there is life here. But then those successive wins at home against Frankfurt and against Wolfsburg. And you thought, okay, no, maybe it's it's not meant to be for Werder Bremen. Maybe they're going to suffer relegation from the Bundesliga for only the second time. But I do think there is hope for Werder Bremen. And I think that Florian Kohfeldt is a good coach. I've never doubted that. I've always thought when I listen to him that he makes a lot of sense. His Tactical decisions, for the most part, are good. They certainly have been up until this season uh, when things have gone wrong. But the fact that they are getting results, the fact that they can put Paderborn to the sword, the fact that they play Mainz and they will be really motivated for that game makes me think that they can do this. And of course, Niklas Fülkrug back in the squad, comes on as a substitute, finds the net. I mean, that is another factor there, that they have another player to come in. So it's not 
just going to be the usual suspects and you know Rashica has not had the the greatest Rückrunde in the world much better in the Hinrunde uh, they've got Davy Klassen they've got Maxi Eggestein they've got Josh Sargent who was praised by Florian Kohfeldt after the weekend performance they played Kern yeah, got two assists yeah two assists and and you know rightly praised and you mentioned Kern you know I have leanings in a in a Kirsch direction as you may know but uh, I, I'm not necessarily expecting too much from Kern in that game I've been underwhelmed as as other fans of FC have been since the team came back and uh, yeah I could well see Bremen getting six points from the last three games and I think if they do they'll be staying up. Yeah, that that would be a result that I think a lot of neutral fans would uh, would welcome even if it meant Dusseldorf ended up in the direct relegation area. I mean that that's another club that has sort of a, a traditional character let's just say but doesn't have the tradition of success that Bremen does. Dusseldorf though I have to say they they fought about as hard as you could expect in that game against Dortmund on the weekend. They, you know, gave up a goal with almost the last kick or head of the game. They have a somewhat trickier Renan, I think, in that, well, eh, it's only slightly trickier. Leipzig are their next game. Then they face Augsburg and Union Berlin. Do you trust them to get out? And, and you know, even if they don't, which is, you know, let's be fair, this is not a terribly good team. And they, they do let in a lot of goals. Uh, how, how tough do you think either Dusseldorf or Bremen, or, you know, or even Mainz for that matter, are going to be in a playoff versus, uh, you know, Hamburg or Stuttgart or, or Heidenheim? This could be, I think a really intriguing relegation playoff game. Yeah, it's often a very good question, Matt, going into a relegation playoff. How battle-hardened is the team in question from the Bundesliga? And I covered both legs of that playoff last season, Stuttgart against Union, and we discovered that Stuttgart didn't really have the, the mentality that was required to make it through. I mean, they had the edge on quality over Union, Yet it was FC Union who won promotion and Stuttgart, as we speak now, are in the Zweite Bundesliga and maybe they'll stay in the Zweite Bundesliga. We don't know about that just yet. On Fortuna Düsseldorf, here's where I would worry about their mentality. They have this very bad habit of turning potential wins into draws mm-hmm. and then as you said on Saturday, turning a potential draw into a defeat. I mean, that is not coincidence. That is happening all too often. And that, to me, speaks to something mental within the team. I don't think they're a terrible side. I think that tactically that they do a number of innovative things. I think Uwe Rösler has improved them. I think it probably was the right move by Lutz Fannenstiel and company to say goodbye to Friedhelm Funkel. I know that's a controversial statement for many Fortuna fans. And of course, we all greatly respect what Friedhelm Funkel has done. But there wasn't the conviction at the highest level of the club that it was going to be sustainable with him. And you might remember, it's funny, you, you, you spoke about Union, their opponents on the last day. Remember that game against Union? I actually commentated on it just before Christmas, the last game before Christmas, when they pulled out a victory right at the end for Tuna Dusseldorf. And, you know, had it not gone that way, uh, Eric Tommy, wasn't it? Eric Tommy with that goal from from uh, outside the box. Mm-hmm. If, if they hadn't won that game then, uh, Friedhelm Funke probably was gone before we even got to the winter break. So they made the change. I, looking at their, their fixtures, 
again, you could see that they might get points against Augsburg and Union, maybe even against Leipzig, because we know that Leipzig at home have been a bit strange. So, I mean, that's not beyond the realm of, of possibility. But I worry a little about, about Dusseldorf just because of what we've been discussing here, that mental aspect of the game. And I strangely don't have those doubts as much about Werder Bremen, Maybe a little bit about Mainz, who I'm sure we'll get to. But Fortuna Dusseldorf, I'll be surprised if they are not either 16th or 17th when all is said and done. Hmm. Now, you know, you mentioned Mainz, I'm sure we'll get to. Why why don't we just go ahead and get to it? I I think this is a team that um, has suddenly found itself in, you know, a, a troubling situation, not necessarily suddenly, but people were not talking about Mainz as a team who were were fighting against the drop in the same way that they were talking about Dusseldorf, that they were talking about Bremen or, of course, Paderborn. But now they are very much in the thick of it. There's a bigger gap between them and, you know, 14th place than there is between them and, and 16th. I think that they're really under the gun right now. And I think this should be a real test for them and for their coach, who, of course, you know, they, they let go Zandro Schwartz in midseason and brought in Achim Bayerlotza, thinking that that was going to be something that was going to take them up the table and help them push on to sort of a, a new tactical setup. But really, the results have not improved at all. And, and it, it, in some cases, they've been worse. They have been. And it really was not pretty against Augsburg at the weekend. They had, I think, more possession in that game than they've had in any other match this season, but just didn't do enough with it. And you had the feeling they were a bit scared. You know, the fear was visible in that team. And I think the fear has been visible for a while. So, you know, not to take something from that game. And then you look forward to, you know, who they've got to play. They've got to go to Dortmund and they've got to go to Leverkusen. Last game of the season, Leverkusen will likely have to win that game, you would imagine, to make certain of Champions League football or at least to have a chance of Champions League football, depending upon the equation between now and then. So that leaves you with that game against Werder Bremen and the colossal significance once more. So I think Achim Bayerlotter is interesting. He started so well, a couple of victories. They haven't had back-to-back wins since. They've been 15th, it seems, forever. You know, they, and, and, and you worry about a team like that that's not really making strides in the right direction. And you worry that if they do sink further, then... You know, maybe that is it. Maybe they, if they were in a relegation playoff, maybe you wouldn't fancy them. You know, I think certain players have done quite well for them. I do like Moussa at the back. I think he has shown leadership at times. Robin Quaison was doing it, but has stopped doing it. You know, that's far too long without a goal for, for arguably their best outfield player, certainly best outfield attacking player this season. And I just think the squad is a little bit thin. A lot of players who are quite similar to each other, uh, but not particularly special. And, you know, we have wondered for a while, would there be a season for Mites to go down? You know, they've become part of the fixtures and fittings in the Bundesliga. Maybe this is the season. And boy, I think it's going to be a close shave either way. Yep. Yeah, I think that this could be a very interesting season, especially if we end up seeing not only... Werder Bremen get out of this and stay in the league outright. But if Dusseldorf and Mainz were to go down uh, or, or to, you know, one to go down directly and the other to lose in a playoff and to be replaced by Hamburg and Stuttgart, these are two massive clubs, clubs on 
orders of magnitude larger than Dusseldorf and Mainz. And of course, Paderborn, who everyone knows is very small. What would it mean for the Bundesliga to get two clubs of that size back in the fold and have two, you know, to be fair, very nice clubs, but kind of small clubs bounce down to the second? Well, I think that in private, people at the Bundesliga, you know, they wouldn't say it in public, but in private, they would think, yeah, you know, we want to have the big city clubs back in the Bundesliga. And, you know, Hamburg have been missing for a couple of years, Stuttgart for this one season, but of course they were relegated recently as well, managed to come back. And, you know, from a business point of view, it stands to reason you want these big venues in the top flight and Stuttgart and and Hamburg, big cities, big venues, clubs who sort of have the soap opera aspect attached to them. There's always a story when it comes to especially Hamburg, but Stuttgart as well. So, you know, I think many of us who are not Stuttgart or Hamburg fans necessarily would love to see them back. It is all part of the, the makeup of the Bundesliga. And, you know, it is remarkable that that Mainz have been in the top flight for as long as they have been. Same for Augsburg, really. You know, that's not necessarily a, a natural Bundesliga fit, but, you know, fair play to the people behind the club, um, especially Stefan Reuter in, in recent years for the way they've organised things, for the decisions they have made. And they're likely almost certainly to be safe again now. So, yeah, I think that has to be part of the thinking, but I'm not sure I have total confidence in Hamburg and Stuttgart, in whatever order. Um, I, wa- I watched, yep. <laughs> yeah, I watched their game recently. You anticipated my next question. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think obviously Bielefeld uh, in strong position. And, um, you know, I, I do enjoy Armenia Bielefeld. I think it's a great club. And it will be good to see them back in the Bundesliga. But, um, you know, will it be Hamburg? Will it be Stuttgart? Heidenheim coming up on the rails, coached by the excellent Frank Schmidt. Um, whew, it's a difficult one. Yeah, judging that that this has been a season where the expectation for both Hamburg and Stuttgart is you must go up, especially for for Hamburg, who who are now in their sort of second try to get back up. How damaging do you reckon it would be for either of those clubs to miss out on promotion? I mean, it's it's already been pretty damaging to be in the second division in the first place. But do you see potential bigger trouble ahead for either of those clubs, either financial or in terms of just reputational. Well, without knowing about the the inner workings of the two clubs, you would have to imagine that it would be uh, having a huge impact, failure to get promoted this year. Because, of course, all clubs are taking a hit financially and there will be a reduction on the TV rights deal. So that is going to work its way down and it's going to affect teams in the Zweite Bundesliga even more. And there's no doubt about it. Stuttgart, in their planning, uh, were planning to come straight back up. I mean, I think that goes without saying. Same for Hamburg. I mean, they were not anticipating having another year in the Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, I know some people think that it maybe is, is a good thing to be down. It, it lets you rebuild more organically. It allows you to get rid of some of the higher earners. But, you know, there are downsides to it as well. So um, I think this is definitely a season, you know, where you want to be promoted. You always want to win promotion, but I think uh, this season more than just about any other. And it is possible they'll both come up, but it's also possible that, you know, neither will come up if, if Heidenheim were to go on a great run and, uh, and the other two falter. I think that's unlikely. I think it will be either Stuttgart or Hamburg and the other one in the relegation playoff. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I reckon so as well. No matter how bad we sort of think things are for HSV or VfB Stuttgart, they could be a lot worse. They could be in the position of Kaiserslautern. This is a team who you have, you know, sort of done some some tweeting about, shining a light on this predicament that this club finds itself in. It's not a new predicament. I mean, Kaiserslautern haven't been in the top flight in, you know, more than a decade, as, as, as I can remember. Uh, and they've been down in the third division for, for a number of years as well. It just happens that this season, where you had the double whammy of being a big club in, you know, a third division and losing out on all of your gate money for, you know, the, the, the final third of the season, turned out to be too much to bear for this team. I mean, what's the latest that has, that's happened to Kaiserslautern? Well, the latest is that they have filed for insolvency. They've gone to a court and announced that this is the case. And the debts are considerable. Uh, that is the, the root of the matter here. And the interesting thing about it is that, and I was talking to a couple of journalists from Germany about this yesterday, it's also a bit complicated because, yes, fans have known for a while that Kaiserslautern are in financial trouble. But on the face of it, yes, it's serious when a club says we are going into insolvency. We are, you know, beginning bankruptcy proceedings, if you want to put it that way. But it's also an opportunity in a crisis because the usual penalties for going into insolvency have been waived because of corona so that there's no nine-point penalty. What does that mean? Well, based on the current position, Kaiserslautern would be able to remain in the Dritte Liga. Also, just some other legal things where, where it becomes a little bit more palatable and a bit easier to, to do it. I mean, the bottom line is that they need fresh investment, but fresh investors are reluctant to come forward until such time as the debt is cleared. So it's almost as though this, this sort of game is going on between the club and the existing creditors. Um, and it's almost as though they're sort of saying, okay, well, you know, do what we want to do and accept what we might, you know, want to have you accept. Otherwise, you'll get nothing, you know? God, I mean, I would hate to be in that, in that position of having to be the, the financial manager at uh, director at Kaiserslautern and going through all these things. I mean, what we shouldn't sort of say is that this is Kaiserslautern already dead, because they might not be. There might be a way they can salvage this, but... Certainly that there would have to be cost cutting and it's going to be a, a wait and see period for a while because this will be in the courts. Yeah, it, it's interesting that, that this is a club that has been mismanaged for long enough that both their creditors and, and to a lesser extent, although, you know, also to a pretty serious extent, even their supporters have lost trust that this is a club that can get its act together in the future. I mean, when you're a club, a small club who sort of has earned a lot of credit <laughs> You can do things like, you know, have a blood drive like like Union or, you know, get fans to buy tens of thousands of tickets to your stadium even when they can't come. But, you know, when Kaiserslautern comes knocking, there's a lot of people who have had it up to here with them and don't want the people running this club to be, you know, just blowing money anymore. Yeah, I think that's fair comment. And I think people do look at the history of it and it has been going on for a long, long time. And many will say, well, you know, why 
Did you want to build a, a fancy new stadium in the first place? Why did you did you not um, remain a bit more modest? It's a shame because we all know that Kaiserslautern is a famous football address. It's a, a you know fairly unremarkable city in Germany, apart from football. I mean, you could also you know anybody who who has uh, you know connections with the US forces will say no well you know we remember K-Town as they call it and and you know that place will always be special to us but you know it's a football city and it has a real pronounced football history and I think that's why when I tweeted about it yesterday I was amazed how many people commented on that because normally if I comment if I tweet about anything in the Dritte Liga it might get you know two or three likes and and maybe one retweet (laughs) you know this was getting a lot of likes and retweets and it's because people remember Kaiserslautern they remember the glory days they remember getting promoted and then immediately winning the Bundesliga so from that point of view it is sad. Yeah it's it's sad and it's it's a story that we've seen happen, you know, not just in Germany, but in a lot of uh, parts of Europe where big names who have made their mark um, either by winning the league in their home country or in some cases, uh, you know, winning European Cups, clubs falling on hard times. And it feels like it's kind of a sign of the times right now, especially when when so many businesses and so many places are, are really, you know, wondering whether there's any future for them. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a lot of people said to me yesterday, oh, the first shoe has dropped. You know, there will be others. And that may be the case. I think Kaiserslautern are a slightly, you know, odd case in that we've seen this bubbling up for a while. And the the real issue is not so much the, the revelation that Kaiserslautern are in financial trouble, but more how they are going about tackling this and how, in actual fact, Corona and and the Corona situation can be used by clubs who are heavily in debt to their own advantage, and you don't like to necessarily phrase it that way, but but that is effectively what's going on. But you know, aside from all that, I would be you know very distressed if a club like that were to go out of business. And you know, we we've been discussing this for a few weeks now in connection with Bundesliga clubs, Schalke, for example. They were the team that always came up when. The DFL insisted that they had to come back with these Geisterspiele um, because of the, the financial situation at various clubs. And Schalke, uh, you know, more deeply affected by this than anyone in the Bundesliga. Yep, yep, for sure. That would be an actual bombshell if, if Schalke had to declare any kind of uh, insolvency, even with uh, <laughs> a bit of a, a let up in, in penalty points deductions, uh, which, which seems to be helping Kaiserslautern at the moment. All right, let's, let's turn our attention back up to the, to the top flight. Let's, let's think a little bit about the, uh, the race for Europe. There was definitely a shakeup in that race with the results from the DFB Pokal matches with, uh, you know, Bayern and Leverkusen advancing to the final. It now means that seventh place in the Bundesliga is enough to make uh, the Europa League. I guess it would be a a qualifying round slot if you're in seventh place, unless you have a very, very good uh, UEFA coefficient. Wolfsburg, they're in sixth place. They look pretty solid to, to make it into the Europa League. They've got 46 points. They, you know, held off a furious comeback bid from the the eighth place team and and co-European candidates Freiburg. The current seventh place team is Hoffenheim. They lost in uh, their first match in the post-Alfred Schröder era. Uh, They lost 2-0 at home to Leipzig. 
But uh, the sporting director of that club, Alex Rosen, was pleased. He said, that was Hoffenheim football. <laughs> little uh, subtweet, I guess, at his former coach. Um, how do you see this shaking out? I mean, there was definitely bemused talk at the fact that Schalke could have still played their way into Europe, and I guess still can, for as bad as they've been. There was some uh, very hopeful talk from you know, me and other other delusional Hertha fans about them getting into Europe when they got off to such a good start under Bruno Labbadia. But do you think that the way things are now, which is to say Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, and Freiburg on the outside looking in is, is likely to be the way that ends up? I would imagine it would probably be in that order, the way things are at the moment. Um, Wolfsburg just have that solidity about them. They are one of the least spectacular teams in the Bundesliga to me. I think Oliver Glasner has come in and changed things, not necessarily for the better aesthetically, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think we could probably both agree on that. Um, but they are remarkably effective and efficient, and they will grind out wins better than anyone. The only problem is that they've still to play Gladbach midweek game, and they've got to play Bayern, um, Schalke in between time. We saw signs of life from Schalke in the Leverkusen game at the weekend with a younger team. In fact, the youngest team for many a long year. So, you know, maybe those fixtures work against Wolfsburg a little bit. Hoffenheim, difficult team to read under Alfred Schroeder, as you've said. Uh, the sort of coaching by committee now and Alexander Rosen, you know, is right that they want to get back to being a Hoffenheim team in terms of their values on the pitch. And They've got Augsburg, Union and Borussia Dortmund. So, again, you could see points being picked up by Hoffenheim there. Freiburg, another team I have a difficult time reading most of the time. I mean, they, they sort of are up and down and they win games. You don't think they're going to win. They lose matches. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just, try predicting Freiburg. I, I've not had great success on that front this season, Matt. That's all. Um, Hertha, Bayern and Schalke. So, Again, you could see those three teams all getting, you know, between four and six, seven points from those last three games. So it might be quite the interesting shakeup. But I, I would think as it's, I think Wolfsburg sixth, Hoffenheim in seventh, probably the way it would finish. That's how I would imagine at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the coaching situation in Hoffenheim. I read today that uh, Zandro Schwarz, uh, the aforementioned former Mainz coach, is a candidate there. Uh, and of course, Jesse Marsh of uh, Red Bull Salzburg has been mentioned in, in connection with that one. Uh, what do you make of those two candidates? I mean, at least for Marsh, I think that's a much better destination for him, at least to, to enter the Bundesliga, than to, to, to jump into the deep end, as it were, with, with uh, uh, Dortmund, as some were, were suggesting. I totally agree. I think if you were advising Jesse Marsh, you would say, yeah, if you are going to get into the Bundesliga, you don't want to be jumping in to a Dortmund situation, because let's face it, at Dortmund at the moment, the expectations are so high, and you know I... I'm a firm believer, actually, in Lucien Favre. I think he's improved Dortmund, and I think he deserves another chance. That's a, a different debate. But um, if that were to become a vacancy, I'm not sure that's where I'd want to go for my first Bundesliga destination. Hoffenheim seems far more reasonable and far more in tune with Jesse Marsh at this point in his career, if he is considered for it, which he, he may well be. Uh, and the football has similarities. Hoffenheim want to get back to younger players, giving younger players a chance, playing in a certain way. And so I could see that being a, a good fit. I could see why Sandro Schwarz is perhaps an option as well, because the Mainz way was similarly about 
younger players, about putting them in, about um, developing players, about selling them on. You know, it's a similar model to that of Hoffenheim. So um, either of those two would, would make a certain sense. Just because there seems to be a new sort of order of things uh, shaping up in the Bundesliga over the last couple of seasons and, and maybe going on to the future, which is to say there seem to be five clubs at the moment, which, you know, unfortunately for them, uh, that's one more than there are Champions League places uh, in, in the Bundesliga. But five clubs who are, are really performing at a higher level than the rest. And those are Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, Leverkusen, and Gladbach. There's a 10-point gap between five and six. I think it's pretty clear to most people that that's, that's who's really running the show in this league. Wolfsburg are not far off. They, you know, are, are close to sort of breaking into that group. Schalke, of course, naturally think that they should be up with that lead pack, but it's not happening. Um, I want to talk about two others who who would like to be there, which is to say Frankfurt and Hertha. Uh, they squared off, of course, on match day 31. Uh, Hertha took an early lead, but then were blown off of the pitch in a shorthanded second half. You know, Eintracht slowly are coming together in their rebuild project. They looked last year with their, you know, magical triangle, uh, to, to use an <laughs> English translation of a German term, uh, <laughs> like they were getting there. But then, of course, they sold them off. Yeah. Hertha are set to make a big splash in the transfer market. Uh, they did in the last window. They look like they might in the next window as well. How do you see those two teams in their effort to make that leap, which right now seems to be the toughest leap in German football? Yeah, it is a very tough leap because we almost see every season a team emerge as maybe the the fifth or sixth best team, uh, but then they can't sustain it and they drop back to the middle of the pack or even further down. And it's almost sort of, you know, one year it'll be this team, another year it'll be somebody else. This year, as you've said, Wolfsburg sixth, uh, Hoffenheim seventh. Next year, it might be Frankfurt and Hertha and, and who knows who else. But um, I think... Hertha, first of all, I mean, obviously they want to be this big city club, which has, you know, sort of become a standing joke now that the way it's referred to. But, you know, Bruno Labbadia has done a very capable, very solid job, notwithstanding what happened at the weekend. But, um, you know, had Boyata not got sent off, that might have been very different. Who knows? I, I do think that we have to watch Hertha closely. I know I'm talking to a Hertha fan here, but I think we have to watch them closely in terms of how they might break out of the the rest of that pack you spoke about in years ahead. I think the capability is there. Clearly, with the, the Windhorst investment, the investment could be there. And, you know, we might be talking in a few years' time about Hertha as the sort of the third or fourth force in German football. I don't think that is unreasonable. It just depends how it all evolves from here. Eintracht um, Frankfurt, I mean, what they did in the Europa League last season was terrific. And I like Adi Hütter as a coach. I like what he brings to the table. Um, he knows what he wants. It's sort of power football. It's um, pressing. It's high energy. But I think there's a price to pay for that. I think it's difficult. We see that with every team that plays that way. Um, there is a letdown from time to time. You can't do that every game without there once in a while being a match where it, when it simply doesn't happen. And, you know, I was beginning to doubt Frankfurt until quite recently. I thought they might slip all the way down, you know, have just enough to be not worried about relegation. But I thought they might well finish 14th, 15th, whereas now they're, they're back up. Uh, in mid-table, and it is amazing what a couple of results can do for you, and they ran away with it at the Olympiastadion on Saturday, but had the numerical advantage. So, um, 
you know, I think they are two great clubs and they are two hugely followed clubs. Uh, I would say that, you know, Hertha probably have a better chance in the next five, six, seven years to being amongst the elite of German football than Eintracht Frankfurt. All right. So you can say that anytime you want to. <laughs> there we go. I guess a couple of other clubs that I want to talk about in that same context, one being Schalke, who I think, as I said, really see themselves in that top group in the Bundesliga and historically have very often been there. But another club who it, I think have just as much potential as as Eintracht, for example, is is Cologne. This is a club that, and you know better than most, uh, and, and, you know, I lived in Bonn for many years, so I, I've certainly been to many Cologne games and know their their fan culture and know how big a club that is. Is there a chance that this club can get to that sort of plateau of you know being either mid table or better every season? Because you know the last twenty years for for Cologne fans have been <laughs> you know <laughs> they've been Ereignisreich. Let's just say they're, they've been very eventful. Come on, Borzang. Yes, uh, indeed. One can definitely say that. Um, they are an attractive club, Kern, to anybody who enjoys the journey. Um, not necessarily the football every game, because it, it can be up and down. But there's always something going on around the club. There's always a story around the club, something strange happening. And, you know, I, I think that Financially, it's difficult for them to be on the same level as even Leverkusen, who, you know, this is the strange thing, and you know, having lived in the, the Rheinland, that, you know, Leverkusen, in terms of interest in, in the Köln area, and they're just a few kilometers along the river, um, you know, nobody is that interested in Leverkusen, you know, but because of the business situation, because of the financial aspect, they are able to be a Champions League club. And Köln, you know, who have all this, you know, this huge fan base in the area are not. And maybe that's just part of the inherent charm of it all nowadays. I mean, once was the time when Köln could win the Bundesliga, could win the Dea Pokal. Um, those days are gone and I don't see them coming back anytime soon. I think Unfortunately, even though, you know, having a, a bigger stadium will help. And that's certainly the, the goal of everybody at Köln is to fit more people in because they certainly have the demand. It's one of the toughest tickets anywhere in the Bundesliga, um, trying to get a ticket for the, the Rhein Energiestadion. So um, I would imagine and, you know, I'd love to be able to say Köln could be a, a Champions League uh, quality side year in, year out. I, I think that once in a while getting into the Europa League, as they did um, three years ago, uh, is probably where we are. Schalke, um, huge club. I mean, no getting away from that. The stadium, again, the fan base, the interest in the Ruhrgebiet, and, and you know, a club that I actually have a lot of admiration for in terms of who they are, what they are, what they've always been. But again, it just seems to be that difficult getting to the next level. I think they should be in a better position to do that than Kern. And of course, you know, we ought not to forget, they have been much more up and down. I mean, finishing second that season under Domenico Tedesco, but plumbing the depths after that. And then, you know, this season, how do you explain this season? One of the best in the Hinrunde and <laughs> just pathetic in the Rückrunde. Um, it's perplexing. I really can't come up with too many logical answers for it. But um, 
I'll use that word charm again. It's all part of the charm of the Bundesliga. People say, oh, it's so predictable. I will say, well, it's not predictable. It might be predictable that Bayern um, are going to win their eighth successive Meisterschale, but just dig a bit deeper and you'll see that a lot of the other stuff is anything but predictable. And, you know, that would mean Schalke and it would mean Köln. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think even looking ahead to, to coming seasons where there, are, there seems to be a gathering group of, of very good clubs in Germany who, who are running themselves professionally, who do have substantial financial resources, and the fact that we're getting you know a, another club like Hertha who are going to have some more money to spend, I think that there is – potentially much more drama ahead for the Bundesliga. But, you know, you mentioned it yourself. Is there is there any danger to think that, that Bayern is under real pressure in the next, say, I don't know, five seasons? I think it's unlikely, to be honest. I think that's the, the sober, realistic view. I think we would like to be surprised. I think, uh, you know, Bayern fans probably don't want to hear this, but even some of them probably know deep down that it would be better for them to not win the Meisterschale one of these years and to have a changing of the guard. Now, you know, could that come from Borussia Dortmund? Could it come from Leipzig? Could it come from somewhere else like Hertha in a few years' time? I mean, you never know because the landscape does change and teams can change. But um, I do think it's unlikely. I think that Bayern continue to have this very successful model and I think they will continue to get the best German players, um, whether you know directly from other clubs or indirectly after these players have gone somewhere else. I think they will gravitate to Bayern München. And so, um, yeah, I... I you know, sad to have to say it, but I, I think it is going to be difficult for the competition um, going forward in the same way that it has been in the recent past. All right. This question about Bayern winning the championship again and again and again and again and again. Well, I don't know. I, I, have I said again eight times yet? I, I don't know. <laughs> this is definitely a marketing difficulty for the Bundesliga, uh, both for the league itself and for its broadcast partners, uh, some would say. You know, you're in the United States. I'm in the United States. Many of our listeners are as well. We're going to get a new broadcast partner next year. ESPN is taking over the Bundesliga. What do you hope to see from them as as far as, you know, selling the league, uh, the narratives around the league, and, uh, you know, from a more sort of nuts and bolts aspect, how would you like to see them cover it from a broadcast perspective? Well, as a viewer, I hope, and I used to work for ESPN full-time on their staff many years ago. Mm -hmm. As a viewer, I hope that they can bring out the culture of the Bundesliga because I think it's the one thing, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance that you are immersed in the culture of the Bundesliga. It is not just a, a league um, about football for you. It's about the stories of all the clubs. It's about some of the things that you and I, Matt, have been discussing in the last 45 minutes or so. And I think it's incumbent upon the broadcast partner to tell those stories and to make it not just about, here's a game of football that could be anywhere in any city in the world and that's it and we quite like it but then we switch off when it's over. There has to be sort of support programming to to bring all these other wonderful elements out. Now, the Bundesliga, through the World Feeds um, partners, it's all run by the Bundesliga. And again, I work as a commentator for the World Feed of the Bundesliga. They provide a lot of these programs. So they are there to be used and to be shown. And I just hope there is a platform for these programs. And I hope that, you know, every aspect of what makes the Bundesliga great comes out on the air. I mean, if it were me, and this is just me talking as a as a uh, you know broadcaster, if I you know could have an idea that I would introduce um, that I think would be attractive to people, I would 
love for viewers around the world to be able to see the conference, which uh, people in Germany get to see on a Saturday afternoon. I would love for that to be available. Uh, and again, for those who don't know what the conference is, it's basically a bounce-around show from, from one game to another with a commentator at every game. And when something happens in, uh, in Köln, the commentator shouts, Tor in Köln! And then you immediately switch to that, to that game. And, you know, you know the drill. Um, most Bundesliga fans know the drill, but I think casual fans don't. And that's something I would love to see brought in. Now, you know, maybe it will be, maybe it won't. Um, but I think just, you know, showing respect for the league, when a broadcaster pays money to, to have rights to a league, I always think, you know, give it your all. Um, again, by, full, by way of full disclosure, I occasionally work for NBC on the Premier League. And I think whether you're a huge Premier League fan or whether you don't like the Premier League as much as other leagues, everybody would have to tip their hat to NBC and say they are really good broadcast partners for the Premier League. And that starts at the top of NBC because they know they have something of value and they want to show it in its best light. So um, that's all I would hope for. And as I say, I used to work at ESPN, so I have every confidence that my, my pals there will will give it their all and do that. Nice, nice. Uh, and, you know, of course, Bristol, Connecticut, is it's a little bit closer to Boston than, than Cologne, where <laughs> the uh, world feed is, is captured is. Any chance we see you taking on a role with the worldwide leader? Well, the honest answer is I don't know. Um, as of right now, there has been no formal contact on that front. That, that's what I can say. Whether that might change between now and the start of the season, I don't know. Um, my main focus is on the world feed, if and when we can make that happen. And um, We're always talking about how we can do things. Um, what has happened, just so you know, uh, with the world feed is that because I'm here in the USA, I simply can't get to Germany or I can't get to London where there's a satellite studio that's been set up to, to broadcast any of the matches. And the decision has been taken that that's how the games should be done um, between now and the end of this season. So I'm sort of the odd man out. I'm, um, you know, just not able to, to do it. And, and it's, it's sad for me personally because it, it is a labor of love. And, you know, hopefully next season we can get back to some sort of arrangement, whether it's, you know, some sort of technical arrangement that allows a broadcasting from afar or whether it is eventually traveling back to Germany, although I'm not too confident about that in the short term. But uh, beyond that I can't really say but um, I'm sure ESPN have plans I'm sure a lot of the plans will involve taking the world feed for the games on ESPN plus but um, you'd have to ask them I think I will <laughs> all right that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul it was really great to have you on the pod Derek every time uh, it, it's special well, it's special for me as well, Matt. I know that I'm talking to a kindred spirit when we discuss Bundesliga together. So thanks for the invitation and let's do it again soon. For sure, for sure. I, I think you're probably one of the few people who's missing Germany uh, about as much as I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, you can follow Derek on Twitter at Raycom with two M's at the end. You can find uh, the wonderful Back Garden Bundesliga series there and, and hear his commentary work in a lot of places under more normal circumstances. You know, if you want to contact us here at the pod, you can find us on Twitter at Talking Foosball. Please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and do tell anybody who watches German football to give us a try. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.